Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hi, it's Jessica. Before we get started, I want to take a quick moment to thank all of you, our community of devoted listeners. If you're enjoying our program, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. And if you'd like to be a part of our growing community, send us an email to reach at mavenrec.com so we can keep you in the loop on all things events related, updates, and more. If you have any recommendations, comments, or guest referral ideas, we'd love to hear from you as well. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. This is Jessica Van, the founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group. And today I have the pleasure of welcoming from Austin, Texas, Lorena Legoreta. Welcome, Lorena. How are you? Thank you, Jessica. I'm doing great. Uh, lovely to be here. I'm very excited. So Lorena is currently an executive assistant at Bumble. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I don't, I don't know where you've been, but um, Bumble is the app that has radically changed the way people, particularly women, date and find friends and meet online, um, particularly by empowering women to make the first move. Bumble recently went public and made history as Bumble's CEO, Whitney Wolf Hurd, became the youngest female founder in history to take a company public. She even rang the bell holding her baby on her hip, which was just such a great moment. And talk about, you know, just a breaking glass kind of ceiling moment. Within Bumble, Lorena supports two leaders, the president, Tarek Shaukat, and chief financial officer, Anu Subramanian. Today's discussion promises to be an empowering one as we talk to Lorena about what it means to break glass ceilings as an executive assistant. And if there's anyone who knows what it means to do so, it's Lorena. Just by way of background, Lorena grew up in Mexico and immigrated to Texas um, early on in her life. She's a first-generation Latina who became an executive assistant somewhat through happenstance, which we'll learn more about. Um, But it was mainly because of her ability to speak Spanish and English fluently that led her to this career. She's also been the first EA to many of the executives that she's supported throughout her career. And she supported her first ever female executive, executive at Bumble. That's a whole lot of firsts for one person. So we're excited to connect, Lorena. We're excited to hear your story. And um, let's get to it. So to start us off, you had mentioned that you sort of lucked into this career, mainly because of the fact that you're bilingual. Can you share that story with our listeners of how you became an executive assistant to the president of Sintra Development as your first EA role? Of course. So it's just a little bit of background. Like you said, Um, I did grow up in Mexico uh, and I moved to Austin back in 2006, you know, left all my family behind, all of my friends, you know, my network, you know, my childhood, everything. So when I moved to Austin, I kind of have to start from scratch. Uh, So what does one do when they find themselves new at a city? You know, it's like, well, we start going to happy hours and we start, you know, <laughs> making friends, you know, wherever, you know, like one, one good thing about me, and that's, this is something that my family always says is that I can start a conversation with 
anything and anybody. And they're always just like, you can start a conversation with The Rock. Right. You know? It's not just anybody. It's anything Which, and anybody. Anything. <laughs> I had a lot of imaginary friends when I was growing up. No, I'm a middle child. So, <laughs> so you know, like one of the things, you know, that I really did um, take very serious, you know, it's like building my network. So, um Back in the day, when I first moved here, um, I was uh, like a year in Austin. So I already had like a kind of a large, you know, group of friends, again, all Spanish speakers. So during one of the happy hours, I was talking to uh, one of the girls and, you know, she was just like uh, casually asking, say, well, how's work doing? You know, do do you like it? And at the time I was working for a uh, life insurance company uh, for Latin America also a job that I got because I was bilingual. So um, I told her, I was like, you know what? Uh, I don't know, maybe it's time for me to, uh, you know, open the possibilities and look for something else. I don't know what that looks like, but you know, maybe it's time. So at the time she worked at a Spanish company, uh, infrastructure, so they built toll roads. And she said, you know, it's like, oh, you know what? Actually, um, the executive assistant to the president who is Spanish just left. So they might be looking for somebody else. And I think it would be great, you know, it's like, since you speak Spanish, you know, like maybe this is a good opportunity. Now, keep in mind, like I, all of my history, like work history before this, it was either retail, hospitality, customer service, call center. I have no idea what an EA does, you know, but I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, sure, why not? This is an opportunity, like, sure. Like, and I was like, again, like networking, just making conversations, like, you know what? Uh, that sounds interesting. And she's like, uh, happy to make an introduction with the office manager and uh, let's see where that goes. So that was a Friday night. I said, great. Um, I sent my resume uh, Monday and then talked to the office manager on Tuesday, a very casual. And she said, um, you know what, we would love to have you uh, for an interview. Great. So I scheduled the interview during my lunch hour. I went the next day, again, not really knowing anything about the role. I just said, I'm going to charm them with my personality. And I'm going to let them see that I have potential. I'm going to fake it till I make it pretty much. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> So I go, I have an amazing uh, interview with the office manager and the CFO. Um, You know, we talked about, you know, my experience and I was able to kind of translate some of my skills from like customer service and, you know, really focus on the fact that, you know, that I was bilingual, that I was was, uh, happy, open to learn. I was fast learner and all of that, right? So... uh, The conversation went great. And uh, she's like, they were like, okay, well, We'll talk to you later. Um, And then all of this during my lunch hour. So then I get in my car. I'm feeling very confident. I was like, this interview went great. So (laughs) I'm driving back to the office. And then when I'm at the parking lot, the office manager calls me back. And she's like, you know what? We really liked you. And the president is actually here. Uh, He's about to go. uh, He's about to uh, go back to Spain. So do you have an extra 15 minutes to come back to the office and meet him? And I was like, of course. (laughs) So I get back in my car, I do a U-turn, go back to the office and um, I meet the president, a great guy. 
And, uh, you know, like we started having a conversation all in Spanish. Where are you from? He loved Mexico. Thank you, Mexico, because everybody <laughs> loves Mexico. So, it's true. We, before we got started, you said your heart is in Mexico. And I said, so is mine. <laughs> Let's go, Except, Jessica. Right? Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So we really hit it off. He, uh, we immediately we connected, you know, like uh, our cultures are very similar, right? So we connected in that way. And so, and he was like, you know what, actually the VP of corporate affairs, who you are also going to be supporting uh, is here. Would you like to meet him? It's like, yes, of course. Uh, so the, the VP of corporate affairs comes in, we have a lovely conversation, we're chatting, we're laughing. And then um, at that point, the president just um, looks back and then, He's like, do you see? Okay, so do you see that desk? It's like that is your desk if you accept that offer. If, mm. if you accept this offer, so I was offered the position on the spot. You know? Wow! <laughs> like, and obviously, I accepted the position on the spot because <laughs> I could not believe what was happening. So uh, we're like, we'll talk over the details, you know, um, once we are settled. But you know, like, congratulations, welcome to the team. Mm -hmm. So. First day on the job, I still don't know what the role is. I really have no idea, but I was I was counting on the office manager to kind of uh, guide me through it. So the president comes in, uh, calls the office manager, calls me into his office, and I'm thinking, oh, this is like you know an introduction. You know, this is what it's going to look like. You know, whatever, blah blah blah. So we both sit there, and he's like, okay the owner of the company is coming in in two weeks, we need to do this. And it's like, and we need a helicopter to go through this and that. And we need to have plan A, B and C and D, because if it rains, we need to have this. And it's like, and like, if he wants to have lunch, it's like, and we need a meeting with like the governor of Texas. And I'm just thinking, oh my God. So I'm writing everything as fast as I can. And all I'm thinking, I hope the office manager knows how to do all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> On the other side, the office manager is writing everything. And she's like, I do not know how to do any of these things. <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness. So we leave the cup. We leave the we leave the, the meeting. Right. We go into an office and then we just look at each other kind of like, what are we going to do? All right. Let's divide and conquer. You do this, you do that, I'll do this, blah, blah, blah. So it's like immediately we get to work. Two weeks later, the uh, owner of the company comes in. We have his helicopter. We have his plan A, B, and C, and D. We have everything that he that they had asked for. And the visit went smoothly. You know, so I figured it's like, at that point, I figured if I survived my two weeks, my first two weeks ever as an EA, mm -hmm. then I'm in it. You know, this is a career for me. Yada, yada, what a yada, story. Oh, my gosh. I <laughs> yes. love it. I love you. Yes. So I feel like I'm right there with you going <laughs> panicking. <laughs> and but not only that, but what a great way of really energizing you in the role, because it, it's like you were such a you were such an ingenue. You were so naive, you know, about what you were getting into. And then but what was so great about this story is how how you responded, like it, instead of Yes, there was a moment of panic. Sure, of course, anybody would panic. But it was also this element of like 
energizing, right? And it was like, how are we yes. going to do this? And there was an exhilaration element to it. And that's, you know, quite frankly, I think that's a big part of, of the hook and kind of the adrenaline of this position too, which we don't often talk about. But I think that's a big part of it in many cases is just like these situations that you get thrown into and it's, and it's sink or swim. Exactly, exactly. So like that's what those were the expectations and that's how uh, high the bar was set. So it's like from there on out, uh, on out, it's like, you know what, doesn't matter where you throw at me, I'm going to be able to handle it because this is how my career started and I did it. So that just showed me the capacities like and how I can, you know, and this is and let me this was back in 2008 when like Google was barely a thing, you know, so it's mm-hmm. like we I have very we have very limited resources, you know, it's mm. like I don't know if at one point I had to like take out the yellow book, you know, to like, you know, right. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that long ago, but you know, you get my you get the idea. Like, we didn't have all the resources that we have now um, as far as like finding a helicopter and like finding this and catering and all of that. You had mentioned that, you know, becoming an executive assistant was in in large part aided by the fact that you had you are bilingual um, and you had also said at one point in our um, you know our podcast um, uh, prep that had you not been bilingual it, it would have been you know potentially really challenging for you to get your foot in the door um, can you comment further on that of course, of course. So I think it was a combination of being bilingual and being in Austin before the big tech boom. You know, it's like back in the day, you know, the biggest tech player was Apple, you know, so like the city was still kind of pretty much under the radar. So it wasn't really attracting attracting a lot of, um, you know, candidates, you know, into the city. Like people weren't really thinking about moving to Austin like they were thinking, let's move to Silicon Valley, you know, for mm-hmm. if I want to work in tech. Uh, so I think it was a combination of me being bilingual and me being in Austin, like right place at the right time. You know, as a recruiter, you have your company and like you know that if I would have shown you my resume on paper for a, a position to be the assistant to the president of a company, I would I didn't look good on paper. You know, it's like I didn't have any experience. So I, how was I going to get my foot in the door? If it wasn't because of the networking, because I was bilingual, I was given the opportunity to, you know, get uh, an interview. Obviously, they weren't guaranteeing the position. They just gave me the opportunity. But me being bilingual is what separated me, especially in Austin, because, you know, like uh, Austin is only 20% like Spanish speakers. So it's like, Having being bilingual was a nice thing to have, but the way that they saw it is like it's it's an opportunity for me the to, for me to be the the communication bridge between the office in Spain and the office in Austin. You know, it's like I was the only one that was fully bilingual, English and Spanish that could read, write, um, you know, speak and understand. So one of the things you know, it's like that's what made me more valuable. A lot of the people, a lot of the Latinos here in the U.S., it's like just because they have a Spanish sounding name doesn't necessarily mean that they speak or understand Spanish. Mm -hmm. Not their fault. You know, it's like we're talking about like second or third generation because in all of the Spanish that they learn is from their household, from their grandmothers or from their mothers. But they never actually went to school and learned Spanish like I did, you know, so like that gave me a big bump it fast-tracked my careers in EA. If I would have gone the natural, you know, like the 
the normal route to be an executive assistant. Like, you know, like I probably would have had to start like as an administrator, like as a coordinator or, you know, like administrative assistant. But this put me straight into the C-suite. Yeah, it was a slingshot. And yes, I, it was. And I think that it's an important story, too, about... Um, working with what you've got, you know, and, and yes. sometimes it's like, and you, you said this too about fake it till you make it. And it's, it's like, but use what you've got, you know, if you know that this is your thing, or maybe your, you know, your phenomenal positive personality is your thing, or maybe your ability to thrive under, you know, exorbitant amounts of pressure is your thing or whatever, whatever your thing is, it's like, work with what you've got. And that was that was your advantage in this situation, um, which you leveraged very successfully. But I also yes. think that there's another part to this story, which is also about saying yes to things and kind of operating in the mindset of why not? You know? Um exactly. Sometimes we get we get introduced to people and I feel like, you know, there is um they're like these little, little, little angels that kind of like, you know, um, find themselves into your, into your life or into your world. And for whatever reason, you were having this conversation with this person. And even though you didn't recognize that you were, you know, somebody qualified for the job, she did. And sometimes, you know, it, it also takes somebody else's confidence in you to make you say, you know, gosh, like maybe they're onto something. Maybe they, maybe there is something worth me looking into because this person believes in me. And you know what? I'm just going to operate from a mind frame of yes. What I've found to realize is that, you know, it's like every single time I do like a personality test and all of that, they always come back where I am very strong with support. You know, so like that is my thing. Like I love to support people. I love to see them, you know, be successful. So it's like I was just a natural at the at the at the job, and I think it was part of like my uh, experience in retail and in customer service that made me, you know, be a yes person. It's like yeah, you throw something at me, it's like yep, I got it. It's like I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I'm going to find a way to do it. Yep. That has always been like my my mindset. And you know, a lot has to do, you know, with my mom, you know, she's always uh, she's always been like that. So for her, like you can't say like she's always going to have a solution. It's like, no, this is not a problem. Like this is not just a no. Uh, it can be done. It's like, yes, it can be done. Let's see. Let's find out how. Let's see how. So mm -hmm. did you see this role as breaking any kind of a glass ceiling as far as you know, being um, being an immigrant, being somebody who, um, I, as you said, you know, didn't have the experience per se. Yes, lots of I'm I'm the rebel of the family. You know, it's like I've <laughs> I've always been the one that go that uh, has gone on her own path. Uh, so, you know, like I did, I grew up in Mexico, I grew up in a very uh, traditional Mexican household, where, you know, I was brought up, you know, my mom, uh, wanted me to marry well, you know, if you still ask her up until this day, she always like, if you tell her, if you ask her, it's like, hey, uh, mom, like, who do you want Lorena to marry? Uh, she's always going to say, it's like, oh, I want her to marry un alto ejecutivo, <laughs> which means a high level executive, you know, like she wanted me to be, uh, you know, a wife, you know, so what, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but that's, that's, just, you know, 
that's what she wanted from me because she wanted for me to be, you know, set up. If you ask my dad, he always said that he wanted me to wanted me to grow up and be a nun, you know. So like, <laughs> was that, really? <laughs> that did not happen. I'm so sorry, Dad. That did not happen. I was uh, the first one, you know. I moved out of my house, and uh, you know that broke my mom's heart because she thought that I was going to leave her house straight to church to get married, and then from there go to. Uh, my my house where uh, that that my husband you know purchased for me you know so right. so for me to be the first one to, you know to leave the the house and not get married because I'm still not married you know and that, and I'm okay with that um, and move not just like away from the city but away from the countries so it's like I moved from Mexico and not just like across the border because I grew up in a border town. I was born in El Paso, Texas, but mm -hmm. I grew up in Juarez. Mm -hmm. So it's a border town. So it's a very, like, it's pretty much the same community, except, you know, for the port of entry that separates, you know, U.S. from Mexico. So I did, you know, I did go to school. I grew up in Mexico. I went to school up until I was a sophomore in mm -hmm. high school. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I went to high school and college in El Paso. But I still lived in Mexico. I still lived at my mom's house. I used to cross the bridge every single day, like a lot of people at border towns do. Yeah. So I was really the first one to move um, move out of the city, move out of Juarez, move out of El Paso. And, you know, I moved I moved to Austin with my brother, which made, made it a little bit easier for my mom, giving her a little bit more peace of mind, you know, just knowing that my brother was going to be here, you know, keeping an eye on me. But, you know, like they weren't just... Um, I really, I, I went against what was expected of me. You know, I was the first one, you know, that out of like all three siblings that got an apartment on her own, that lived by herself. I was the first one in my um, in my family to actually purchase a home in the U.S. You know, and as a first generation Latina, like that is a big thing. It's you a know, big like, thing no matter what. That's <laughs> no huge. Matter what. No matter what. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. That's thank a big you, deal. Thank you. So like you add all of these things, you know, it's like, and I do feel like every single time it's like, I break, even it's not, maybe it's not a huge glass ceiling, but it is for me. You know, it's like every single time I do something for myself and then I don't have to ask anybody. And I know that I'm growing from it. It feels like a triumph for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. The, the, the glass ceiling is that's it's relative to what's meaningful. What everyone's glass ceiling is, is different. And, and you're talking about some major like archetypes that were really, you know, like kind of dictated for you, you know, that you basically stood in, in the face of and said, mm, it's not for me, you know, yes. <laughs> and, and that's a pretty overwhelming precedent to have to buck like if you're bucking the system and bucking all those precedences that's a lot to to stand up against so what do you Thank think you. yeah what do you think compelled you like do you think it's just who you are and that's just how you roll or I mean what what kind of compelled you to take that step and say I, I want something different for myself I think, again, it's just like my yes personality. You know, when the opportunity presented itself for me to move to Austin, it's because my brother back at the back in the day, he um, got a job in Austin. And after being here for a weekend or for him to be here for like a month, he's like, you know what? I really see you in Austin. Like, maybe you should move. And I was like, oh, sure. Why not? You know, so <laughs> I, I, I packed my car with like $500 in my bank account 
no job, no house, like nowhere to live. Uh, for the first like couple of months, I shared a one bedroom apartment with my brother. And, you know, we had like air mattresses. So it was like, and I really had no plan. I had absolutely no plan. It was just like, I'm going to go with an open mind if it doesn't work then I'll just go back. But if it does work, and you know, my plan was just to be in Austin for a couple of years, 15 years later, I'm still here. So it kind of worked out for me. Thankfully. Yeah, yeah <laughs> seriously. Well, that barbecue yeah. is is something. Yes, <laughs> I'll tell you. It's, it's yes. something to stick around for. That's for sure. <laughs> so speaking of, of breaking through glass ceilings, you happen to work for your current company, Bumble, um, which we spoke of, where several of the top leadership roles are held by women, uh, one of whom you support, as we mentioned, Anu. Mm -hmm. So if any, what are some of the, the biggest differences you've observed in supporting a female versus a male executive? Right. So I love this question. I just have to clarify. So I have to say that it's not so much gender specific. You know, throughout my career, I've supported, I say, I don't know, maybe 12 different executives. And every single one has a different personality, has a different style, you know, like there's some things, you know, it's like it's that learning curve, us adjusting to each other's personality and me adapting to them, to their style so we can make it work. So it's not so much gender specific, it's just personality and style. But what I can say and what's different about Bumble and what made me ultimately make the decision to move with them is that you know, like throughout my life, you know, throughout my career, I've sat in many, many board meetings in many, many boardrooms where 99% of the people around the table were male. You know, I was the 1%, you know, and I was always at the table not being a decision maker. You know, so as every time I would look around the table and I would see it's like, this looks wrong. This shouldn't be this way. You know, like there should be representation, you know, like there's no minorities, there's no women on the table that are like speaking for the rest of the company. So when I went for my interview with Bumble and we started talking about, you know, like Whitney's story and, you know, like Whitney at such a young age, you know, like making those decisions and it's like breaking through those glass ceilings and it's like then looking up at the, up, like, and what the leadership team looks like. We have a CEO, we have a CFO, we have a chief of staff, we have a chief legal officer, we have a chief brand officer. You know, it's like we have so much representation from all different paths of life. You know, it's like mothers, new mothers, like you mentioned at the beginning. It's like Whitney was able to ring that bell with her 18-month-old baby at her hip. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, if that is not inspiring, you know, like, I don't know what is, you know, so like, that's kind of where I wanted to be. Like, I finally felt like when, when I moved to Bumble, I finally felt that it was a trifecta. What Bumble is doing as a company in the mission, you know, the representation, not just in the leadership, you know, like, but all over and, you know, like, and the, ama the amazing team and the kind people that uh, the community of the company, that's kind of what when I said, it's like, okay, this is where I should be. So, you know, it's like, and we're breaking, you know, what we're doing as a company, we're breaking glass ceilings and setting the stage for the next generations by building equitable relationships and empowering women to make the first move, you know? So it's like, mm -hmm. if that is not something that is, um, motivates you and yeah. inspires you as a woman, 
you know, for me as a first generation Latina in the U.S., then I don't know what what what's going to inspire me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah. I think it, it, a lot of <clears throat> a lot of Bumble's mission resonates with your own story. Um, on a very, I mean, now now having heard kind of come full circle, right? I can I can totally see how you encountering Bumble would just feel like this kind of you know destiny sort of sort of vibes of yeah, like this is a company that stands for empowerment. It's a company that stands for women taking ownership of their life and and the, and the direction that it takes and not being kind of a passive bystander in in any of it and um there's there's totally a synergy there i i get it so from the time that you got your first break with the president over at sintas um to now you know how would you say you've evolved as an executive assistant and looking back what would you tell your younger lorena self Right. Well, how have I evolved? Well, I actually know what how to do my job. You know, like now <laughs> you know what the job is. <laughs> I know I know what the job is. You know, but you know, it's like don't just go for the money. You know, it's like don't go for the shiny things. You know, it's like well, you need to. Now that I see, it's like and how I'm lucky to be at Bumble. That now I have all the things. You know, that the, all the synergies, like you said, like all the trifectas, like good uh, team, good mission, good company, good culture. That's what you need to look at. You know, it's like, you need to understand, it's like, especially just in the last year, like they, you are talking to them more and, you know, it's like more than your own family, than your partners. Then, so it's like, it needs, it's, it's important for you to find out those teams and those uh, company cultures that you know that you are going to enjoy. You know, and like another thing, like one thing that I really could kick myself because whenever I started as an EA, every time they would ask me, it's like, oh, what do you do? I would always say, it's like, oh, I'm just an EA. It's like, and I hate every time I think back, I cringe about why did I was always saying, it's like, oh, I'm just an EA. No, well, I'm an executive assistant. You know, it's like, and I'm a, I'm a partner. I'm not just, I'm not your typical like secretary from like back in the 60s where I would, you know, get your coffee and, you know, it's like write down messages, you know, phone messages and give them to you. And it's like, and hang your, your coat. You know, it's like, it's that this position in this role has evolved so much. Now you're a partner, you're an associate to your team. You need to like work in, on the relationship and foster the relationship with your executive and not just that, but like you need to foster those relationships with their team. You know, the more involved you are in the company and with the team, the easier you're, it's going to be, you know, for like a smooth operation, you know, with, uh, you know, with everybody in the company and you need to, under, we need to understand the value of this company. Yes, we might be behind the scenes, but like if it wasn't because of us, a lot of these, uh, um, important meetings, you know, and partnerships wouldn't even start, you know, because like if it wasn't because we are putting all of these, you know, meetings on the calendar and we're keeping them accountable, you know, to show up and, you know, be with their team. It's like, and just for us to be the ear on the ground, it's so important. And we need to, the people need to understand and take pride of it. So, and then one last thing, I think that, um, you never, you, we should never be afraid to ask and negotiate our pay, our pay and their salary. That's something that I didn't do at the beginning. And I wish I would have done more. Mm. Uh, but I need to, you, we, we need to understand our worth. We need to understand our value. 
you know, what we're bringing to the table. And again, if you keep saying that you're just an EA, then you're never going to, you know, really ask what you deserve as a part of as a part of the team. I feel absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's a big. That is a huge running theme in so many of our mm-hmm. our conversations, and and really, um, quite honestly, one of the the driving incentives that we had in in creating and launching this podcast was really to stand as a uh, as a beacon and and as a um, to to really assert you know this the value and the importance of this role and of this work and and the value of the individuals who perform this work and perform this service and and do the do these deeds right so i i i agree 100% and i think that all of that everything that you said has to start first and foremost with a, a place of recognizing within yourself your value and um and 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 what you what you bring and Everything, all of the other things that you talked about—the partnership, the opportunities, the 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 importance, the salary—all of that flows from first and foremost that recognition of fundamentally your your importance and your value. You you have to you have to know that above and beyond everything. And I love what you said about you are a CEA, a chief executive assistant. <laughs> that's that's going to be my new thing. I love that. It's, it's, Nobody it's, gave me that title. I just gave it to myself. So you know. yeah, it's great. I love it. CEA. We should all we should all take that on. And I'm curious, like you know, there there could be listeners out there who are tuning in and who find themselves identifying with a lot of your story, whether it's, you know, that they're kind of, you know, bucking the system themselves, or maybe they're, you know, wanting to do something else and and wanting to kind of like go a different direction than what their families think or their partner thinks or whoever thinks, or maybe they are themselves, you know, coming from a different background or culture. Um, What advice do you have for those people who are listening and saying, gosh, I, I really connect to a lot of what she's saying? I say, give this position the opportunity. So many times, and sometimes when I listen to, sometimes I help, you know, with the interview panel and I help interview other EAs for another role in the company. And I have a really good, I can tell when somebody is just trying to get their foot in the door because they really don't believe in the EA position and they just kind of think it's like, I'm just going to go into the company and, you know, like maybe work as an EA for a couple of months, you know, and it's just like, you know, try to uh, move up or move to another uh, department. I think that that is the biggest mistake, you know, it's like, and I try not to, every time I see that, that is a big red flag for me because, you know, like, being an EA, it takes a lot of uh, time and dedication. It's like you need to work on that. More, a lot of the stuff that I've, you know, one of the most important, the skills I know, the skills I know, I can, I can, I can work a calendar. I can move things around. I can set up external meetings. I can set up uh, team meetings. I can set up board, uh, you know, board meetings. But one thing that it takes me every single time when I start a new company is fostering that relationship with my executive. It's earning the trust with each other. You know, so it's like, give that, uh, the job, the opportunity. Don't think of it just like getting my foot in the door. 
And, you know, just don't look at the, this position. It's just like, oh, it's not really that important. Like, what do we do? It's like, just like take phone calls, like, or just like put meetings in the calendar. People think that that's easy. It's not, you know, it's like, it, it takes some time. And, you know, also like never underestimate the power of networking. It's like every single one of my jobs have, have been uh, through a referral. It, like that is, that has been my best like letter of recommendation. Every single time it's like somebody has thought about me for a new position, it's like, hey, they reach out. It's like, hey, you know, like this is opportunity ever since from the beginning. So that is your, that is the best like letter of recommendation. It's like the ethics that you show in every single one of your jobs and every single one of the companies, it's something that's going to follow you everywhere you go never burn bridges never close those doors you know it's like you just never know and it's like and be open and be open and be willing to take on other projects because maybe you're not a career ea maybe you're not but like if you don't open that opportunity it's like uh you're never gonna know like what your true career path is i have a final question for you if you could support anyone throughout the course of history who would you choose to support and why? I have two answers for you. And this is like, this is true. It's like not somebody in particular, but in the present time, I really do feel that I am with the right team. I am very excited to see what Bumble is, is uh, doing in the future. Global, you know, it's like just the opportunities. But so in the present, I think I am in the right position. I'm at the right company and I'm with the right team. Now, I understand that Bumble wouldn't be who we, you know, we wouldn't be who we are without giving, um, thinking about like, who were the true pioneers that led us to get to this point. So because of that, once I went, you know, it's like, I, I'm going to say Gloria Steinem, but like Gloria Steinem mm. from like the beginning, like back in the sixties, back in the seventies, you know, like when everything was going on, it's like, you know, like she's truly inspiring, you know, it's like in everything, she's still fighting. You know, like decades later, you know, she's fighting for all of those rights that had allowed me to get to where I am now. You know, like people like Gloria Steinem and obviously like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, it's like mm -hmm. I just don't want to like I don't want to work in government. That's why I went with Gloria Steinem, you know, but like people, women like incredible women like that are what made me, you know, got me to where I'm at. I love that answer. That's uh, <laughs> that's such you. a wonderful answer. Yeah. And um, awesome. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, it's been so much fun meeting and connecting with you. You're just so much fun to talk to. I really enjoy your <laughs> your vibrant your vibrancy and your storytelling. Um, so nice you. to thank meet you. you. Yeah. Thank great you for to doing meet this. You as well. No, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. This is great. It's a, my official first podcast. So, you know, I hope it, it all went well. I think you nailed it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.